You're listening to Heart of the Hunter, a serialized fantasy novel set in Koronai, the magical country. This story was written and performed by Sam Chubb. For more information about this podcast, including upcoming role-playing game releases associated with this novel, check out heartofthehunter.com. Now, please enjoy Heart of the Hunter. Chapter 17 Clasping his silver tree cloak pin to himself, Corwin leaned against the back wall of the guild canteen. He chose to portray a soldier who had perhaps had too little sleep and too much drink as he closed his eyes and cleared his mind of all distractions. The discipline of his talent let him shut out the noise and the chatter of the bar, and instead of that racket, hear a thrumming pulse that sang inaudibly through the crowd. The song of the heart, it went everywhere, reverberated through the all and back to him. To feel it again, to immerse himself in it, was like coming home. Corwin. A voice came to him, far off, uncertain. Sighing to himself, he focused on the far-off sound, turned his inner senses to it, listened, sent back a greeting. Bridget, is that you? Of course. Theowen was wondering about you. The grove misses you. You haven't checked in. Did you lose your quarry? Um, something like that? Look, Bridget, this is not a good time. I need to move out very soon. You did lose him, Bridget replied, her spirit voice filling with mirth. Several wagers were riding on the news. Aye. Well, my pleasure to give the Silver Grove their entertainment. Now, never you mind. I am about to find him again. He lost me days ago. But the heart song led me to a curfhead this morning who led me to the Merck's Guild just at the same time a mercenary company was looking for tagalongs. The way forward was to join up, so I did. I head out via Trigate very shortly. Corwin, if he gave you the slip, then he really may be a true talent. Isn't that exciting? Aye, that is what I'm thinking as well. Luckily, he hasn't yet learned how to cover his tracks. Not without training, I'll bet. Well, do be careful, Corwin. Signing up with mercenaries? I remember when you practiced with the warriors. You're not much of a soldier. I don't need a blade or a gun. I'll just gash them, whoever gets in my way. Besides, you know it is crime to lay hands on one of our own. Corwin, you don't know what you're talking about. Do you think Blackpool soldiers care about Lunar Genti custom? They'll do what they please. I tell you, please be careful. I shall, Cariath. I shall. Tell Master Feowen I am on the Wunjo's track yet again. Will you? I'll tell him. Farewell, Muse brother. Farewell, Bridget. Until soon. A few breaths later... He felt the contact disengage and dwindle, and heard once again nothing but the pulse of the nearby heart song. He probed at the strain of the song that led forward, just to check to see if it was still there. 
and it was. It pulsed, pure and undiluted, with the distinctive notes that he had come to associate with his quarry. Corwin opened his eyes and sighed. Standing up, he paid the remainder of his tab and headed off for the cramped entrance corridor to Crossways. The gypsy scouts had a knack for picking out the easiest path through the forest. Off the road, the wagons groaned as they were drawn over rises and through underbrush, but they held together and kept moving. The wagon guard drove was somewhat lighter now, but it was no longer carrying a massive triangular millstone. Something bothers me, Sarge. I don't know what it is, but that millstone... Doesn't make any sense, Raven said. <laughs> what about the Anandani makes any sense, eh? If the factor wants to lighten our load in the middle of the trip, then so be it, I say. The faster we get to Iron Town, the faster we be getting paid, in my knowing. Yeah, but why? And why were all those funny squiggles on it? It looks strange to me. Aye, I've never seen no triangle millstone. But that's the breaks, isn't it? A single hole in the center? Maybe that were the slot for the turning? It just seemed magical to me, somehow. There's an old gypsy saying, one that I tend to live by, said Aaron, who had ridden up to match strides with the other two. And what is that, O oh great sage? Raven asked. Never borrow trouble. We've got enough as it is, Aaron said. Oh, aye, I've heard it said, Peter said, grinning. Sneeve cursed as he stood in line. Crossways was a cramped space, nothing more than an entrance corridor that ended in a room where the trigate was, and an exit corridor leading away from the room, up the back stairs. Soldiers had to go one by one into the Crossways room, and it was slow going. In addition, Leonard didn't like the tight space, and a grouchy Leonard was a dangerous Leonard. It'll be all right, Leo. Really, just chill. You got me into this. You pissed off, boss. You should be dead. <laughs> Life-bound, remember? Look, he and I made an agreement. Agreement? What is? I get to go with this here Merc unit and make sure the nail don't win because of the pretty boomsticks I gave them. And I either collect the payment or kill the deadbeat and take his head for the default gate. What you get? To keep my yazas. Oh. How you find him? Sneeve grinned. I figure your nose and tracking skills are still good for something, ain't they? Leonard scoffed. Never mind. The boss gave me something. We'll find him. Apparently this whole thing is much, much bigger than you or I thought. Leonard snickered. <laughs> yazas. Gee, thanks a lot, Leonard. Thanks a lot, buddy, Sneeve answered. The corporal at the doorway called out, Next! And the line moved forward by one. Sneeve bared his pointed rat-like teeth at his hyena-man companion. You just follow my lead, you hear? He hissed. 
just because you're life-bound don't mean it can't be undone. I follow, Leonard said, reasonably enough. His hyena grin, though, was somehow even more off-putting than usual. You'd better, Sneeve said, his eyes narrowing. Next, came the call. And Sneeve stepped forward into the triangular tunnel of blue-violet mage fire that led upward. A moment of transition passed, and he was gone. The corporal looked at Leonard. Next, he said. The hyena man considered for a moment, then hunched and ran forward. The door to the factor's office swung open. The second phase of the recent venture has begun, Master Factor. I just wanted you to know. Nolan Ironpurse's own assistant, Gerald, was efficient and polite and would never interrupt him if it were not important. Ironpurse turned to look at the map on the wall in his office. Very well. It's my nephew, well. He was the one who filed the report, sir. Thank you. He glanced up at a map he'd purchased a year ago when the project was conceived. It showed the northern reaches of the Blackpoolian Protectorate, the swamp, the plain of Skither. He had just read the accounts from the few Sidalian scouts who had escaped the slaughter last year. He was astounded at the grim total of the dead. Iron Purse looked up, saw his assistant still standing there. What is it, Gerald? It's just, I don't understand why the nail do what they do. We would share our hunting land with them if that were all it was. We don't want the hunting. We want the trade route. They don't want to trade. They just seem to want to attack without warning. They attack as if driven by some unholy force. They've done what they could to block us. And yet every time we sign a treaty with them, they ignore the agreements and attack yet again. Word has it that they have a leader... A spirit caller who has them believing that they are in their holy land, sir. Do the irregulars have orders to pursue them if they run? If they stand down and surrender, Iron Purse began, they are to be captured and geish-bound, then released. And if they leave the area of the road in what appears to be a satisfactory manner, we will let them flee. But they won't. They'll fight to a man. They're religious fanatics, Gerald. As you say, sir, Gerald nodded, and closed the office door. Iron Purse glanced back up at his map. Soon, he would learn if the money the Prester concern had spent on this venture would be worth it. The company was on the move. Raven, Peter, Arryn, and Kennel rode behind the caravan, their hands near their weapons and their eyes casting about, looking for anyone that might attack. The rear door to the wagon Dav was driving opened, and Jurgen stuck his head out, struggling to hang on as the cart was pulled over bumps and rocks and ruts, jouncing on its springs and canting dangerously this way and that. "'What is the meaning of this?' he yelled out at Peter, 
His own mount was carefully making its way through the same obstacles behind and to the right of the cart. We're traveling with gypsies, Vector. They promised to get us to the Lunar-Genti border in exchange for mutual protection from the nail roar bands. That's where we're bound, Lunarjin. I, uh, what? That's not possible. There's no way I can afford a Lunar-Genti tariff on top of everything else. We have a safe passage, Factor. Don't you mind? Besides, it's better to be broke than be broken, if you take me meaning. That warband weren't gathering for a tea party. Something's got them riled. I ain't never heard of such, not even during the border wars in Yar. Never seen all these different nailed tribes working together. This must be something new. This, this be what killed the Seidels last summer. So we flee. Haven't these damn gypsies heard of taking roads? Jurgen spat. What, this? This is a fine road, Master Factor, Aaron said, grinning. Can't you see the trail? The wagon lurched again as it came over the next rise, nearly sending the Factor flying. Aaron grinned. Be easy, my good Arendani. As soon as we reach the Outriders, we'll be on easier ground. Is this like the long ride? Raven asked. Oh, no, no, the wagons couldn't take the pace. But the outriders are finding twin trees that will serve to take us into the straight track. You'll see. Raven did see, as they came down the rise they'd been climbing, that the caravan was now passing between two trees, each marked with a velisti sign. A light mist had risen on both sides of the trees, obscuring the forest around it, and the wagons were passing through slowly and carefully. Kennel pulled up short when he saw where they rode. This is as far as I go, Sergeant. Safe journey to you and yours. Peter nodded to him and turned away, continuing to ride down the hill. But he put his hand to his brotherhood necklace and thought of Kennel. Are you going to go fight those nail? Peter sent through his necklace to Kennel. An answer came back. A host gathers to fight them, Sergeant. We will do what we must. Your part here is done. Get your caravan to its destination, and we will take care of the rest. Oh, I, I shall. Be well, Peter sent. Be well, Ken to the stag, Kenhill said. His horse turned and trotted off, followed by the loping form of Warrell. The Swamp Queen rode out to meet her troops. In the dying light of the afternoon, the garcroc she rode was majestic instead of blundering. Ogrim warriors surrounded her as a guard of honor, and she wore her full regalia, including her belt of traitors' skulls, each one a silent statement as to what happens when one fights the power that Ulin had come to represent. When she had made her way to the circle of nail tongue that were the war leaders and chieftains of their tribes, she turned to address every one, her garcroc croaking and hissing his anger at not being allowed to surge forward and eat them. Greetings, O oh great war leaders of the Death Birds and the Blood Wolves. Today is a very important day. 
The soft ones from the southern city have decided to invade our sacred ground. We who have suffered and fought to preserve the fresh kills of the promised land are now forced to make a choice. Do we want to fall under the heel of the enemy and be made his chattel slaves forever? Or do we wish to surge forward like a pack of angry crocodiles to hunt and kill and protect that which we own? This is the true test of the nail. And what shall be your answer? A hoarse cry of nail came up from the assembled masses. The word crook, which, no matter how you translate it, means fight. They beat their spears against their shields, beat the swords against each other. They waved high in the air their dracon rifles and pistols, for they had been taught the ways of stuffing wax into their sensitive ears, and they would fight with the weapons that the soft ones had brought. And for my part, you will be blessed and supported in this endeavor. <clears throat> Easy it is, spat an Ogrim warrior with a booming voice, to sit behind the warriors and point the way. Will the Swamp Witch come to fight with us? A silence descended upon them, and Uline swiveled her mount to regard the one who spoke. A few nail moved slowly away from him, as if trying to distance themselves from her power. He stood his ground, alone. A laugh bubbled up from her gut, like the escaping gas from deep within the bog, and she threw back her head in mad abandon as she enjoyed the warrior's impudence. How sweet it was to be challenged, she thought. How sweet to meet a warrior who was still unbroken. She grinned broadly at him. You have a strong point, warrior. I am no softling general to stand behind his army and point the way into battle. I will be there, right alongside with you, in spirit. In the form of my champion, she said, and raised her arms to the tree line. Come to me, my champion! Come to me, Kaun. Major Chief Graham Hornboot didn't like riding horses. Sidalians weren't really sized to properly ride them as a rule, and at the same time, he didn't like riding a pony. The one thing that saved his dignity was the go-disc, a brassy object that looked like a round shield, but that floated a bit above the ground magically. With balance and skill, it was possible to ride the go-discs so that you could move as fast as a galloping horse, though it was a difficult skill to learn, and one of the discs was much more expensive to obtain than a horse. Still, Major Chief enjoyed his disc a great deal, moving quickly around the edges of the assembled cohort as they stepped out of the trigate. The glowing lines of power that seemed to lead into a tunnel that hovered in the air itself were the guild's primary means of magical transport. They were difficult to use because you could only send a few men through the tunnels at a time, and you needed to have an anchor stone on the other end of the connection. Most battlefields didn't have one. This was a very special case. Scouts came to Hornboot one at a time, giving their reports to him, 
and he listened carefully. A picture of the battlefield was forming in his head, a certain knowing of the terrain. The forces were assembled on the large clearing called the Plain of Scyther, where the Sidalian army that had come through here last year had fought and died. It was easy to see why the Sidalian commander had wanted that room to maneuver, but what he hadn't counted on was the strength of the mass spears and the power of their shamanic allies to rule the day. So he would not fall into that trap. The old man had gotten the full story from Abrams and his men. They were properly armed and armored this time. They were fresh and ready. They had a plan. Report! Master Chief said to his aide. We're at nearly full strength, sir. The troops are still coming. Ert Company, Baith Company, and Cayley Company are in place and ready to go. My sergeants are giving cross-checks, making sure everybody knows their place. Where are you putting the stringers? We've got them in reserve, making camp. I thought they had a hyena man among them. Where did that soldier get off to? I don't know, Master Chief. I'll have a look at the docket, but I think he may just have been a no-show. Happens. Okay. Well done, Commander. We form up to go very soon. I want the healer tent set up to receive the wounded. This is not going to be an easy one. Aye, Master Chief. I'll do as you say, then. Ram turned back to his scouts. Fan out. Reports are that the nail are not far over that rise there, but I want to know... Where they are, down to the last rat dog. You hear me? The scouts nodded and dispersed, flowing like water through the trees, pulling their chameleon cloaks over their heads, and effectively vanishing from sight. The assembling nail chanted as the swamp lord emerged from the tree line. He was as large as any giant, taller than a large tree. Coon! His arms bulged with vines as sinew. His legs were stout cypress trunks ripped from the ground. His eyes were pits of life-grown glow, hazy green like fireflies. His teeth were fangs of broken troll femurs. The mauls at the end of his arms were bundles of broken skulls, mud and blood eels rooted to the spot. The creature reeked of rot and corruption. It splorched as it walked, leaving behind writhing bits of itself as it moved across the clearing toward the cheering nail-tongues. Yes, my coon, my champion. You will be my warrior in the fight. A heavy, long, black sword was brought for him, and he held the blade in triumph above his head. The roar from the assembled nail was deafening, and they very nearly swarmed past the Ka'un in full battle rage, looking for something, anything to kill. Hold, killers! The war leader said, We must wait the time and find the enemy. Bring your fastest runners and Garcroc raiders to link up with our trackers who are even now finding the soft ones. We will be triumphant! 
The Ka'un settled down on its haunches. The swirling, creeping, shivering mass of him looked more like a hill than a person now, but for the black blade resting across what would have been his knees. All around the Ka'un, the scouts swarmed and ran off in all directions. The Agrim Garcroc riders first, then the scampering Tangreshi scouts. Soon, battle would be joined. Peter and Arryn followed up to the rear of the line of wagons, watching as each intricately detailed gypsy box cart passed by them, down the hill, and through the Pathfinder's trees. You wish you could go back with the Green War, don't you, Sarge? Aye, I do. It pains me to leave behind any man in battle. One of the things being a merc teaches you. No one should be left behind. I think he's got backup coming, or at least that's the sense I got. Peter nodded but said nothing. Half a moment, Sarge, if I may. Yeah? What is it? Well, I haven't had a chance to talk to you about Corinne. Peter looked down at where his mount was cropping trailside grass. Aye, and what of it? Well, you saved her life, or so I'm told. For that I am in your debt. It weren't nothing. Nothing I wouldn't do for any other. She was hurt. We took to trying to fix her. It's what you do. Not everyone would have risked their lives for a gypsy. I appreciate it. I just wanted you to know. Well, put it out of your mind. It'd be nothing, truly. The other thing I wanted to say... You wonder why she was in camp, do you? Arryn nodded. The iron hell, I don't know. She was asking after ye, or so she said. Still, I can't tell you why she thought I would know when ye'd be back. The whim of the Velisti woman is a thing of legend it is. It wouldn't be the first time that she followed her fine and unruly will. Well, I want you to know, there weren't no Tantaliza. I told her that you were my shield brother, that me loyalty lay in your direction. Did she offer you such a thing, Peter Coldpond? Arryn asked, his voice turning cool. Nay, she did not. And how do you know the word? It is not something the Gahe understand very well. Do you know what the word means? I don't think it'd be a fit topic of conversation if that's what you're asking. That which happens between a man and a woman, tis private, by the light. The Valise de Verana feel differently about such things, Sergeant. We are infinitely more practical. We know well that there is a fine difference between love-making and mating, and draw that line but clear. The tantalinza is for pleasure, not mating. It is given by a woman of age, of her will. It has nothing to do with her marrying, although a married one might never offer the tantal to anyone else. The right is always hers. That is the way of things among we gypsies, Peter because our women know their bodies and their fertility so well, because the mamza can literally peer into the blood of one. There are no accidents among the Wunjo tribes. 
So where you were wrong is this. It is Corin's right to offer the Tantalinza, and if she should offer it to you, I would encourage you to accept. I think it would be obvious that her form is fair, and... Enough of that, mister! I am no gypsy! Aye, you are Gahe, which means she would not likely to ever offer you such. But I wanted to let you know about this practice, because it seems you've caught the eye of several of our Valisti women. Did you not see how they looked at you just now? And Mamza Lane cannot say no to all their requests for permission to offer the Tantal to you. Enough of that, soldier. we got work to do. As you wish, sergeant. As you wish. A Tangreshi broke through the thicket and froze for a moment on the trail, looking at them both. His eyes went wide and his head craned to see them. His eyes glowed yellow in the dimming light of the day. Hello, Mr. Ratlizard, Peter said. A shot rang out next to Peter as Arryn's Dracon discharged. The shot hit the Tangresh square in the forehead, and the Tangresh fell backwards, its brain splattering against the tree behind it. Goodbye, Mr. Ratlizard, Arryn said, blowing the smoke from his barrel. Looks like an advanced scout. What do you think? Peter nodded, watching as the last of the gypsy carts passed the Pathfinder trees and vanished into the mists. We best be going now, Arryn. They'll be on us shortly. Oh, I, I agree with you there, Sergeant. Let us go. You've been listening to Heart of the Hunter, a Coronai Chronicles story. Heart of the Hunter is brought to you by the Fireheart Foundry family of podcasts. Fireheart Foundry also produces Fledgling, a Leaden Universe science fiction novel by Sharon Lee and Steve Miller. The Bears Grove Podcast. Dragonkin, the podcast for kids and gaming. The Square One Podcast. And Vibrant Living. Find out more about the Fireheart Foundry at fireheartfoundry.com. This podcast is brought to you under a Creative Commons Attribution, No Derivatives, No Commercial Use, License 2.5. Music is provided by the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Thanks for listening, and we invite you back to our fire real soon.